0: Through conversations, our goal is to share and explore mind body paradigms to offer empowerment possibilities.
1: We are fortunate to be in conversation with Paul Linden today. Paul is the chief instructor and co founder at the Columbus Center for Movement Studies, Aikido, in Columbus, Ohio. He is a specialist in body and movement awareness education, and his work focuses on the interplay between self exploration and effective action. Paul is a B.A. in philosophy and a Ph.D. in physical education. He's also an instructor of the Feldenkrais method. These together help make a wonderful way of understanding what it means to be and live as a human. Our talk goes into Paul's history, his process, exercises for peeling away the layers, a lot of me stumbling, working with trauma, and more. So with all that,
2: let's begin our talk. Hi, Nikki. Nice to meet you.
0: Hi, nice to meet you, too. Thank you for taking time to speak with us today.
2: Sure, of course. That's It's fun. I get more kids to play with now.
0: Yeah.
2: yeah. <laughs> yeah are you
1: are you are you doing keto at all uh, with social distancing or what's well like?
2: yes we just started yesterday evening doing weapons work so we can have a staff that's four feet long and the other guy has a staff You're, you've got about six feet between you and you just try to hit him with a stick and you do various aikido maneuvers to avoid that and you do all your centering so it works it's not as much fun and uh I really I need to do some aikido. I realize I've, I haven't done it for two months, and uh, it's really part of my life. I have to. I the joke I make is I shake like an addict if I don't do it, but I shake anyway from the Parkinson. So that's that means I'm an aikido addict, I guess.
1: I am. I have a, a friend of mine who uh, has been talking about aikido for years, and I, I actually it's something I'm really interested in. I don't know why it does there's something that that makes me want to to practice uh or to start learning and i i feel like i'm I'm six foot four about 215 pounds so i feel like my body is not the most ideal for aikido but
2: any, any living body is ideal for aikido if yeah. you're alive you can do it
0: well andrew if it makes you any feeling better i'm doing i'm doing martial arts with my son and I'm, I'm doing it with a bunch of kids. I'm like right. the only that's adult. Nice.
1: I guess what would be really maybe helpful is sort of to talk a little bit about your, what brought you to where you are today?
2: <laughs> yes, that's a good, I've, well, there are three questions that I've been puzzling over for a long time and in the last six months, I've figured out the answers to all of them, so that's good. One of them was, what's the essentially Jewish component of my Aikido and body work? The other one was, um, why do so many people do what I consider to be mechanical empty technique? Just move here, twister the wrist there. And the third one was, why, can, why is it so hard for senior Aikidos often to bridge the gap and, and bring it into their daily lives instead of just keeping it on the mat as a combative practice? So I've got answers to all three of them now, and I'm happy.
1: Oh Well, I'm, I'm as as a Jewish-born, I'm super curious by the first one.
2: Yeah, I figured you would be. That's why I listed it first. Um, should I start and tell you?
1: Sure, 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 okay. sure. Anything you want.
2: Basically, I the Japanese teaching method in martial arts is resolutely non-intellectual, non-cognitive repeat, 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 drill your body until when something happens, it responds with the correct move, and you, you stay alive. Um, that is not how I learn. I learn by going underneath the surface, looking for the logic inside of it, figuring out what's below that, and figuring out why it should work that way. And I can explain to you how I've done that in Aikido, but the point is that it's Some people have commented that Freud must have been Jewish because he had this instinct for diving below the text, old numerology and that sort of thing. And it's the same thing I feel that um, I don't know how I got it, but I did the urge to debate and discuss and figure out the logic underneath things. And so that is the answer. That's why I do such strange Aikido by many people's standards.
1: I, I love that, especially since for the last week I've been having an argument with my girlfriend over pretty much the exact same thing, which is that I'm I'm very similar. I'm like, okay, but let's keep going deeper. Why is that? Let's peel let's peel it up. Let's learn. Let's learn. Let's not just stay on the surface. So I, yeah, right. I resonate I resonate so well with that.
2: Good. Well, we're in the right place then. Why why does your girlfriend object to that?
1: I mean, I don't want to bring too much of my personal life. In,
2: yeah, right. Yeah. Okay.
1: Um, but I will say, my, I'm 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 from New England, and my girlfriend's from Beijing, and oh, okay. we, have very, we have very different cultural outlooks on. on I can things. imagine. Um, yeah, and I've always been a, a fan of philosophy and looking. Uh, qu- you know, I grew up with question authority, and yeah, of course. Yeah, that's,
2: and, that's- and and
1: yeah, and so that's just more or less is how to. Is but why, and so I like I've in the last few years started studying more with uh, phenomenology and mm-hmm. really looking at well, why, but why, um, just to learn more about myself and the world.
2: In a certain way, I've gone in the opposite direction. I started off as a philosophy major and figured they'd been talking for 3,000 years, hadn't gotten any concrete results, I wanted something a little quicker. So I stopped, um, I stopped dealing with phenomenology and I don't answer why questions. I answer what questions that I can pin down some evidence for and to discuss whether it's a clear procedure or not. So we're doing the same thing or doing the opposite things for the same reasons, I think.
1: Yeah. And just meeting in the middle.
2: Yeah. Somewhere. Somewhere. Right.
0: So the, your, your inquiry with wanting to invest, investigate further into patterns, life situations, what came first? So you you do aikido, but mm-hmm. then you also have body in motion,
2: being in so movement. Being, Close. Sorry,
0: being in movement. <laughs> That's okay. Um, which came first?
2: The aikido came first, but it didn't really come because I couldn't do it. I I I. In retrospect, I realized I was not a sports person. I'd never done anything with my body. I was a bookworm. And I would, uh, people around me would watch the instructor and they'd do what he did. And on my good days, I could say, huh, but I didn't see what he did because I couldn't understand it uh, the way I understood things. And so what I did was I started making up exercises for myself to bring my body online, although I wouldn't use the word online 50 years ago, there wasn't much, but, um, I, kept a file with three, three by five cards. And every time I had a a good exercise, I'd write it down on a three by five card for those who remember what those are. But um, I eventually wound up moving from San Jose to Columbus, Ohio for my PhD. And I brought a stack of about a thousand cards with me. And um, in my, I was getting a degree in physical education. Little did I know that they didn't mean the same thing I meant when I said those words. And I was assigned to teach a course called Movement and Self-Awareness. So I just pulled out my stack of cards, um, took 30 or 40 of them that seemed like they would fit together and went with it. It was my first experience teaching anything but Aikido. And I found that I had inadvertently found a very powerful process that didn't take nearly as much effort or time as Aikido did, an awareness process.
1: And when you studied Feldenkrais as well, did that come later on?
2: Yes, um, that, that was about, um, I had one year left in my graduate program and I found out that Feldenkrais was offering a, no, they were, the people are in charge of Feldenkrais teaching Were offering a, a, a nine week makeup over Christmas. They had taped everything in his first year of training. They wanted to know whether the tapes would be good for anything. So they gathered about 40 of us together and put us through it with Moshe up on the box instead of live on the dais and it worked just as well so they figured that they had the answer to their question that the tapes were going to be useful and they mainstreamed us so i i took off the last oh two nine-week periods in my last year and had somebody else teach my classes that i was a ta for and jumped in i found that feldenkrais is a very powerful tool and I don't use it much, but it's a very powerful tool for something I don't usually do much of. So I have it in my quiver if I need it. But um, it's just something that has helped me in certain ways.
1: Did you find overlaps of that with what you the self inquiry work you're doing before, what you, the the, the no code work, or
2: not? Very little overlap. Right. Moshe um, Feldenkrais was. Resolutely teaching softness and flow. And that's good. But for some reason, he chose not to teach the stability and the power, which he evidently had. One of my friends was about six, six. He went up to Moshe. It was an Aik- my friend was an Aikidoist black belt. And he asked Moshe, could I feel your judo? And Moshe, sitting on a stool, just reached out, flipped the guy. And that is a lot of skill to be able to do that but uh, he said it was an amazing feeling so but um he evidently had all the power he needed but he didn't elect to teach that
1: hmm. there's a there's a saying about uh, a, there's a lot of stories about Moshe Fodor and christian and Adder rolf and their overlaps sure. and there's a saying that he was at, at Esselen once had he said like all right all you rolfers get on your line and they all stood up and he he pushed them over and then he's then he's got on his line and he like said okay now push me over and 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 they couldn't um mm-hmm. but that ida said that her she said yes i'm teaching them the, the, the line is to be in movement not just when standing still it's a little nice story about him yeah
0: i'm still a little curious about your your exercises on your index cards so mm-hmm. were you seeing aikido Moves and then we're breaking it down because you said you were trying to learn how to master it yourself. So mm-hmm. then you would see something and then maybe micro
2: piece no. it together. No, no, I didn't do that, do it that way. Um, let me try something. Take one hand and rub your shoulder just lightly. Now that establishes the awareness of that spot in your body, right? If that spot wanted to move toward the wall on that side what would happen what do you feel in your body as you just request that that spot wants to move
0: Uh, I would be curious of lateral movement
2: Uh, what as you do it do you discern anything happening in your body now as you do it if you're doing it
0: I'm feeling like I'm trying to pull my arm out of my shoulder joint
2: okay Um, I'm feeling my
1: left
0: my feeling my
1: left foot stabilizing but that might just be how I'm sitting
2: Well, that's the point, but um, okay. Can you stand up? Are you someplace where you can and not lose the, okay. Walk forward a bit and just walk normally. Now go back to where you started. This one shoulder wants to touch the wall on that side. Feel it wanting to move as you walk forward. What happens to your motion?
0: um uh, maybe getting a little bit more curious again to my maybe a little heavier my that that shoulder side step. Okay.
2: and uh andrew what happens with you
1: um interesting my left shoulder feels very like big my whole left side sort of got very big my right side sort of got smaller and i feel like my my head wants to lean over to the right so
2: which shoulder were you thinking of left shoulder okay yes that's the kind of thing that i did as an experiment And if you think about each shoulder wanting to go out to the side, what does that do to your movement?
1: Mm. It actually made it harder for me to breathe in in the middle of my my chest for some reason.
2: Interesting. Interesting to explore. Okay. Imagine if – let's do it a little differently. Here, Here, draw a square in the air, if you would, please. You can edit all this out if you want later. No, no,
1: I think it's great. I think people will love listening to this, because that's the, the, yeah.
2: Make a square, and you have one home corner. Whichever home corner it is, know that when you get there, you're going to turn, right? Because there's a corner. Go in the same direction, and when you get to your home corner, want to go in the other direction, but go in the same direction you have been. What happens?
0: Get confused.
2: Yes, why? Because simple. S- no, because you're sending two messages to the same muscles to go in two incompatible directions, and you aren't actually confused. Confusion is the name of what you are. Hmm. You get it? it in in German, it'd be "fehlend," just confused, but in English, it's, it's the word is not the same as what you're actually doing in the body. So that's a key piece for me: not to define words by words, but by body actions and body sensations. So what you're calling confused, I imagine, was the movie got, move got a little gummier or harder to make clear and precise. And that is the example of operational definition of an intention. I don't use the word key or energy much, but intention. Mm-hmm. So it, have you ever driven down the street and the light turns yellow and your foot wavers between the brake and the, and the gas? that's the same thing you're sending two messages to the muscles until you decide whether you want to jump on it or stop muscles will try to do both and it isn't very clear so i that was not as such an aikido thing but i felt it as i was exploring things and i felt that when i could clarify my thought through space then i could move better
1: I'm sort of still trying to figure out how, because my brain is is one that sort of an engineer and wants to take apart how you how you got there. Because it's something that I feel like for myself, I've been in some way or less working with a lot of that, um, but I'm, I'm I'm just at the surface.
2: Okay, I'll tell you how I got there. Um, let me think. Okay. There were two key moments in my Aikido practice. The first one was when I had been practicing about a year. I remember saying to my partner, I know I'm supposed to go with you, but what do I go with? Nobody ever said that. Aikido, you go along with the the attack, but what is it that you go along with? And I suppose the other guys knew, but I didn't. I had to make it explicit. So I, I jumped on the idea that I'd go along with your movement, which is more or less accurate, but not complete. So I just spent a long time trying to have no influence on the attack. What does that mean? If I, if somebody tried to punch, I'd ride the punch like a butterfly on an elephant, but I wouldn't try to direct it. And after a few years of that, I could really sense where people were going and how they were getting there. But I realized that I wasn't going to be able to defend myself because I wasn't doing anything. I was just perceiving. So then I started figuring out the bridge between perceiving the attack and the attacker and doing something to control it.
0: Can you talk more about what you would do to control it?
2: There's only any number of things. You could punch the guy. The one that I find very interesting, you can do, and it will work once on most people. Eep! You do that, and most people try to punch you. What the hell? And then you hit them while they're surprised, but it won't work twice. You can do a, a strong maneuver, like a block and a strike. You can do a soft maneuver and take the person, and throw them. You can do pretty much whatever you want if you have the techniques and the perception of how to use them. Does that answer It's really,
1: it? it's really amazing to see even, even over Zoom that people won't see because it's audio, but the difference when you just did the strike versus the flow the is so different.
2: Yes. Yeah. I have black belt in karate, but that was not my home. Aikido was my home but I wanted the black belt in karate because I needed to learn how to attack better. And I also figured if, if, if I had one soft language, one hard language, I'd have the language spectrum of the martial arts more or less covered. So I'd be at least familiar with most, with some things instead of being only in the soft camp or only in the hard camp.
0: For myself and for listeners, I'm, like I said, I'm just now getting into the martial arts realm with my son so um but just reading a little bit about your background with aikido my understanding is it's a little bit more of a well i think what you're saying a softer form of fighting like capoeira is like No, no
2: i don't think so i mean how to describe it it's it's soft in a number of senses one is if you feel if you grab my arm You don't feel resistance. You you usually, if I'm awake, feel some kind of flow. I was just uh, getting my blood pressure taken at my doctor's a couple days ago. The nurse picked up my arm, and she said, oh, that's amazing. Most people don't relax. You put your weight on me. You don't hold your arm at all. And that's a, a level of relaxation that is very useful in Aikido. You don't have to do much if you don't do much. But you do have to use some, some force, of course, or you just lie on the floor and be a puddle. But the, uh, the hard techniques, um, well, there's one person in my Aikido class that I just gave her black belt in Aikido. She's a karate instructor and she's been going nuts trying to reconcile the soft and the hard in her own body. So I've been trying to teach her to speak two languages. I say, here, do the movement, do it Aikido. Now do it karate. And it's the same move, you can only fold the elbow in one direction, unless you're being very unfriendly, of course, but if you do it with the attitude of hard and straight, or the attitude of soft and flowing, it's a different move, even though it's the same skeleton of the movement.
1: What, what is is that, that difference? Is the difference about the embodiment behind it, or
2: the intention? well certainly the intention what do you mean by embodiment that's behind it i don't understand that phrase
1: um i think i more or less in this case mean somewhat about the intention about how the person is is presenting themselves both as a who they are in that in that body in that mental and that every sort of space that that is there uh, and and we can we can embodiment i think becomes a buzzword but we 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 can try to be i can try to be paul and and do that but that's not and it's in me and it's in my body but it's not really me it's not the embodied.
2: i think i know what you're talking about now thank you um no it's would you consider eating garlic ice cream probably not but somebody somewhere must like it
1: i I would totally do that
2: don't try that well, then you're very strange, just like me. Um, but it's a matter of the flavor with which you live and move. So, for example, if I stand up and, let see here, I've had Parkinson's for 17 years. When I do these kinds of things, notice there's no tremor. I can move fl- flowingly. And if I do, I just lost my cable, but that's okay. If I do this. See that feels different than this. It's the same move. But one I I pound, I, I get hard and braced on the floor. The other I float and I move more on the floor. So it's it's just a different flavor. It depends what you like and what time of day it is, I guess, whether you like hard or soft.
1: I like that you mentioned flavor because there was something in what you sent over about flavors that I well, about that I really liked um, uh-huh. and about the emotions or the physical actions yeah, in the right. body. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, I'm happy to have you, since it's your words, I'm happy to have you share that.
2: Sure. What I think of as emotion, I use that as a technical term. It's a series of actions in the body. Anger is one series of actions. Um Being happy is another series of actions, but emotions are actions in the body. They're not something that goes like mental vapor across your brain. And feelings I define as the the experience of those actions in the body for the person who's doing them. But many people don't, don't make the distinction between talking about the feelings and talking about the emotions and knowing what you're, what you're referring to. Um For example, some people do meditation where they uh, they be, uh, take the observer's stance i am i'm watching the feelings arise and and leave in in me it's happening and i'm the observer watching it I think that is that's a good way to get to enlightenment or something if you want to do it that way, but it's not what i'm doing what i'm trying to do is become, not deny the self, not, not go farther and out of the self realm. I'm trying to become a decent self. And when I do things, I don't take the stance, it's just happening within me. I'm doing it. And if it doesn't give me the results I want, then I better find a better way of doing it.
1: Nikki, before I hijack every sort of question, do you, have, do you want to go somewhere?
0: No, I'm still sitting with what he's saying, no. digesting.
2: <laughs> okay, Let me finish it up then. The slogan that I often use to summarize my teaching is power without love is brutality. Love without power is ineffective. And that's really the summary of what I've tried to learn and teach in the last 50 years of Aikido. It took me quite a while to figure out that's what I was trying to teach, but that is the essence of it, I think. Yeah, it's
1: um. every time I hear you say that, and I've, uh, I've seen a, a lot of lectures of you. That always rings home, and I think I'm I'm also trying to digest a lot of what you're saying, but still also trying not to have five minutes of um, <laughs> of just quietude. Because I, well, one of the reasons I really want to have you on is I, I just I think a lot of what you share is so wonderful, and it's um, there it's like a seed. You, I, I feel like you have a really great way of condensing mm-hmm. this stuff down to, to simple. I'm using the quotes, you know, it's not simple, but you really find a nice way in, in the wording to make things that are really complicated to have, have a, a simple feel of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but we need to digest them
2: as well. Yes, of course.
0: Well, what I'm observing and what you're sharing with the, you know, the two styles of martial arts and kind of way sharing the, emotions and feelings is really creating this, this, I mean, in Rolfing we have something a principle called adaptability and be able to hold kind of opposite spectrums. So there is this nice balance between mm-hmm. like for your, you know, in terms of the martial arts this, there's a need for maybe a more power, strong stance versus the flow of the softer
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And when you were doing those, I'm still holding this curiosity of could you explain the practic- practical applications of when maybe you would choose one or the yeah. other?
2: Okay. And, Let me give you an example. In my PhD dissertation, I, I got to the room an hour before any of the other people were supposed to be there. I rearranged the furniture. So I took the head of the table facing the door. When my faculty came in, I'd say, thank you, Mr. So-and-so, for Dr. So-and-so for coming. Why don't you sit over here? So I welcomed them into my room. I placed them where I wanted them to go. And then I said, it's nine o'clock. Would you like to ask me the first question, sir? And he did, because I was polite and asked him to ask. And I gave him a very strange, incomplete answer. He said, could you amplify that a bit? And of course I could. What I was doing was using the Aikido group attack principles to control the crowd. I didn't let them ask me any questions about stuff I didn't know about because there was a lot of stuff I didn't know about, but I I kept them confined to following me around talking about what I thought was interesting. That's a soft kind of a control, isn't it? If I'd said, ask me, jerk, this is what I want to talk about. I would have been dead in the water. On the other hand, one time I was walking my dog he was on a leash, and this big dog that was off leash came roaring up to him, and I just took one step forward and said, "Sit." And he went Ach! and sat, okay, I was able to control him. That wasn't so that wasn't very soft. it was direct and forceful, but I didn't injure him. I didn't touch him, I just had to convey that I was in charge, and he wasn't. So th- does that give you a sense of when, when, and how you might use either one?
0: Well, yeah, it sounds like when you have a. Well, in this particular example, and I, I guess I can imagine where maybe, maybe, in more of a surprise element, hmm. you might choose to resort to affirm. You
2: know, it depends or, what you're surprised with.
0: <laughs> well, but I guess yes. really, ultimately. The success is being able to hold both.
2: Yes. You and use whichever it. you need. Yes. If somebody, if I were out with somebody, say my, I was holding my grandchild and walking down the street and somebody tried to attack us, I would fix the guy so he wouldn't touch my kid, my grandson. But um, if it's just me, I don't necessarily have to fix him quite as fixed. I could pin him and say, now what do you want to do? Therapy or the police? Or something wise-ass comment, but uh, it depends what you can do and what the situation is, which you'll choose. It's better to have alternatives.
0: And I think for to be able to be successful at resourcing this is coming back to what your the other modality that you are a part of that you created is being a movement, really mm-hmm. taking the awareness to have the. The whereabouts, the site, to be able to gather all the information and know the appropriate response.
2: Yeah, that's great.
0: I, I think that's important in in all aspects of life, especially in terms yes. of creating meeting conflict resolution in a peaceful way. Of that, it's, it's not always necessary to come in effect strong. It could yeah, be it, much beneficial to be soft.
2: Yes. Bicycle. Usually I try, try to do the soft first because it's, it's less effort. If it works, it's it's easier all around. But um, sometimes you need to be hard.
1: Mm-hmm. I think with a dog, you could easily, if the dog was coming, you could easily flip it and throw it over. But the dog's probably faster than you. And by the time you try to flip it, it'll bite you. So you have to know in that moment that hard coming at it will, will stop it.
2: Probably. A friend of mine out in San Francisco was a real diminutive little woman and she was a black belt in judo, black belt in karate, and was earning her black belt, getting close in, in Aikido. An attack trained German shepherd jumped her. She just swiveled slightly so she wasn't in front of his mouth, kicked up into his stomach and he collapsed on the spot and was lying there whimpering, hardly able to breathe. The owner came up and said, I'm going to call the police on you. And she said, go ahead. How many people has, has your dog bitten? And he Sort of, oh, well, and slunk off. But it is possible to do what they are saying.
1: And, and by no means are we, after, after our talk last week with Jim, who was a dog rolfer, by no means are we condoning animal, <laughs> animal violence. But when there's a, a need for protection, we'll put that disclaimer out there.
2: What do you mean by violence? That's a very interesting question that comes up all the time in Aikido.
1: That's great. I'm gonna get some good. Um, some <laughs> I'm gonna look, look pretty great after this. I have to. Ed- I do most of the editing, so I think a whole, a whole part of the podcast will just be like, "Oh, what happened in that conversation?" Um, yeah, right. Right. It's it's important, I guess. My 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 framework of the word violence is any sort of, I guess, stronger action with with attack. So that that movement towards the dog. My initial reaction would be, "Oh, it's violent!" She hit him, but I can also see that what you could—I guess—I'm I'm seeing that you could hit, you could you could attack without it being violent. There could be a way where you do it so it's a a stopping of the force, but not going further, uh, and so okay. that wouldn't be violent. Or you're going to mm-hmm. educate me.
2: I'm going to educate you. At least I'm going to present some ideas, and you can decide whether they fit you fit you or not. I think of violence as any action built from fear or anger with a desire to diminish or hurt another human being or or another conscious being so if you feel uh, say you were out in the woods and um a beautiful collie came up to you with rabies would you pet it probably um, not
1: probably yeah, I mean, would I know it had rabies?
2: Yeah, sure, it's slavering. You just okay. So you you, yeah, you know yeah. that's part of the setup. Okay, would you shoot it if you if you had a gun?
1: No.
2: Why not? It's going to die a horrible, painful death, and probably infect other beings as well.
1: Well, first of all, I didn't know that that would happen. Yeah,
2: you know, that's what happened with <laughs> rabies. Okay, so well. that's part
1: of it. Um, maybe um, because. It's not my, I don't view it as my responsibility in this case. If I saw it, if the next part was like, and I saw it going after someone else, then it's interesting. It makes me really uncomfortable to think about.
2: Yeah, well, that's why martial arts are very strange for people to think about. I'll tell you a story about that in a moment. I would define, would you hate the dog when you saw it suffering? And
1: Would I hate the dog? Yeah. No, I'd, I'd feel sorry.
2: Okay.
0: My, you, my instinct is I would, if I knew, my, I, would, I would shoot the
2: dog. Yeah, me too. I feel would bad, you, Yes, I would of course. shoot the dog. Because it has to happen. He's going to die. He's going to die in pain. He's going to infect other beings. What I say in that situation is if you care, if you're doing it out of compassion, if you're not hating the dog, you can kill him, and it isn't violent. But you say, nice doggy, nice doggy," and try to pet it, And that is violence if you're thinking, I'm going to get you. See what I'm saying? So it's about the intention very often.
0: Well, it's interesting because as you're explaining that, like my attention would be from, uh, to be fairly honest, it would be mostly fear-based of what would that dog do to me, not so much of what it's going to do to other people.
2: (laughs) Mm -hmm. Well, that's true.
0: (laughs) I mean. Yeah,
1: and and for me, I I guess – It's not my best example because I don't know enough about rabies and how that all sort of goes out. Um, uh, It's something I actually want to sit with a little more and to think about.
2: Okay. Well, let me tell you a story. I was out in Los Angeles a number of years ago. I met a friend of a friend, and we were eating lunch together, and he smiles at me and puts down his fork and says, you know, I could kill you if you sit there. And I said, yes, of course you could, and kept eating. His eyes went wide. He said, you're the first civilian to pass my test. I said, what do you mean? It was quite a while ago. So he was a not terribly long ago veteran of Vietnam. He said he killed a lot of people. And he and and the other combat veterans lived on the edge of life and death. And they knew how fragile it was by having killed lots of people. And he was testing me. He said I was the first civilian who understood that he wasn't threatening me when he said it. He was just saying a truth that it's, very fragile this life and we compared notes he learned it by killing a lot of people i learned it in the martial arts without and having to injure anybody so but the point is that if you're not used to that precipice if you're not living on the edge of it then it sounds very strange what i'm talking about and i once when i first moved to columbus i was part of a movement group and uh One of the people is a psychologist, and she asked me, why did I practice Aikido? I said, to learn to die well. And she thought that was the sickest thing she ever heard and hasn't spoken to me in 30 years. But it turned out I was right. With the Aikido, the Parkinson's has been very manageable because I, I choose to manage it. Without it, I'd probably have sat on a couch somewhere and rusted shut long since.
1: Well, we're glad that you haven't rusted shut.
2: <laughs> me too. Thank you.
1: I am, because watching you do the Aikido and watching you do the karate, there is a very, and, and, and in response to the Parkinson's, there is a very different physiological phenomenon in, in you. And I am, a, a part of me does, so is curious, why, what, what is it about, is it, what is it about, Aikido, is it Aikido because it's your practice or is it for other people that would be the same if they had been doing it? Sort of what have you figured out as far as that?
2: Okay. Um, I think I, I know many people do Aikido as a combat art. It may or may not be a very efficient combat art. It depends on how the moves were executed, how they were designed, but, um, I think that it's 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 really a question of what how you want to live. If you want to live in a soft, free, flowing way, you do aikido that way. You can do aikido in a harsh break it kind of a way, but I that's not less Aikido, it's just a different way of approaching Aikido. I think there's something that my answer is missing. Can you help me with that? What is it that you're not, not satisfied with? Well,
1: I think, I, I don't think it's that I'm not satisfied. I think there's some part of it is there's so much to process out of what you say mm-hmm. that it's a lot of it is, uh, and I'm, um, part of my retention process. I'm a slow learner. Uh, I found that, that I can me, be a slow me learner.
2: too. But, yeah. So I need to, this.
1: yeah. So I, I, ha- I have to listen, um, um, it's one of the reasons why podcasting isn't always the best for me is because the next day I'll be like, Oh, I wish I asked him that. Cause I, it takes a little right. longer for that to go through. Um, so well,
0: I'm back to curious a, a little bit more. I want to dive a little bit more into being in movement mm-hmm. and with your, you know, clearly you have this beautiful history in martial arts with that. and, and, understanding to learn the discipline there's a great deal of introspection that I believe that's involved with it you know always taking this first person point of view and inquiry of where is self where am I on this place and how do I by taking inventory of of self, then that is kind of the benchmark of how you move forward.
2: Hmm. I must confess, I know each of the words you've used, but I don't understand what you said. I don't take inventory of the self. What, what, does, it, what does that mean exactly? Is it concrete language? How do you know when you're taking inventory and when you're not? Or when somebody well, when else you're says? checking
0: in, like when you're, when you are in your stance in either martial arts that you're practicing, Mm-hmm. Where's your I mean to be able to execute power you have to have a point of reference
2: what does that mean
0: Where do point you stand Point of reference on? Point of reference where are you getting your power from
2: My hips and the floor
0: so just like this.
2: No it's the way you use your hips and the way you contact the ground below you um why don't you stand up, we'll try something. I can't teach by talking about things, I have to do them, which I, I guess will be okay. Point to your hip joints with your fingers. Where are your hips? Let's see. Yeah, okay. Um, these are not the hips. This is the hip bone. The hip joint is where the leg folds. The pubic symphysis is bone right here above the genitals. Little to either side, that's where the leg fold, that's where the hips are. Now I'm gonna show you something that is very crucial, I think. Put your fingers in your hip joints, push your tail back until you come to a sitting position, and then stay there. How does that feel compared to your usual way of sitting? Is it your usual way of sitting? No. How does it feel?
1: Um, for me, there's, there's, it's too much flexion, uh, at the, at the hip joint.
2: Too much for what?
1: Um, well, because Nikki and I are both Rolfers, which doesn't really mean that much necessarily to you, we are maybe a little more aware of where our body would be neutral in alignment to gravity. For me, this has my body folding forward, going, going into a protection mode, um, fighting just to stand, to sit. Up. my body wants my pelvis wants to roll back and then okay. so this makes this makes me feel uncomfortable.
2: Okay. I don't I didn't say to to stay lean forward, but you have to start by leaning forward and then coming back just a bit. What you'll experience if you do this, when somebody pushes on your shoulders, not suddenly, but just a steady, hard push, this stabilizes you and you can't easily be pushed over. If you raise your chin or clench your fist, do anything other than this free state of balancing on your pelvis you, you will immediately be pushed over so um, I think what you're talking about when you say taking inventory of the self does that mean for you feeling where your body parts are what your, what your beliefs are about how the body should operate in space and whether you're doing all of that is that more or less what you're talking about is taking inventory yes Okay.
0: T- taking inventory is how am I grounded enough to be able to execute the desired move? Mm. And to do that, a lot of times to do it with efficiency is to have a global, so introspection is having a global awareness of your body, your internal state. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I, I know how I like to orient to, to movement. And I was just curious, uh, maybe I'm making this up, but a, a little bit of trying to understand more what's behind your work and the being in movement and also how you opened up this conversation is your style is to really look at all the layers of something to be able to have a greater understanding
2: mm-hmm. yes okay well that's fair enough um, I just don't happen to use the word taking inventory I wasn't quite sure what you meant by it I know what the word means but I wasn't sure what you did when you did it which is another one of my principles and movement um, don't tell people this is the truth do it I, I'm forever getting people coming into my class and I'll say why are you breathing that way? And they'll say, my yoga instructor said it was the right way to breathe. And that's uh, an incomplete sentence, the right way to breathe for whom, for what, in what situation. So I say, okay, keep doing what your yoga instructor said was good breathing. Now, how does that affect your stability and movement? And very often, it, it really fouls them up compared to a different style of breathing that I teach. I'm not saying the yoga breathing is wrong. It's just not for for my purposes what I need. So you have to be flexible and be able to do what works in any situation.
1: Correct me if I'm incorrect. My <laughs> <laughs> um, my sense it partly out of that, out of that sort of watching that interaction between the both of you is that how you teach is is essentially that taking things apart. So Nikki yeah. has said this. You maybe maybe could theorize what she's saying but don't want to take your presumption to be what she is saying so you're sort of prompting it back to to keep getting the the deeper inquiry which essentially is taking the inventory but it's the way like for me if i'm correct with that that's i resonate with that sort of style of teaching and um i don't know why that is but that's how i'm perceiving it to be i don't know if that was your intent or not
2: I think you've got it very accurate. That's what I'm doing. I don't want to lead the witness. If I'm helping somebody recover a feeling that they have buried in themselves somewhere, I don't say, oh, when when it happened, whatever it was, was there cheering squad next to you? Were they wearing blue jackets or green? And that's leading the witness, putting all kinds of thoughts in. All I say is, and what do you feel in your body when you talk about Sunday? And where do you do it? And then I just keep iterate, iterating and reiterating what do you do in your body when you describe that? Is there anything interesting that happens? And people always find that if they follow the trail of what, hap- what they're doing in their body, it takes them to someplace valuable in their inner search.
1: And how did, was that all over the index carding things you oh, did or did you, okay.
2: That was something very different. I was walking across the parking lot at a shopping center near here. And this woman stopped me and said, do you, who are you? you walk, don't walk like anybody I've ever seen before. And I said what I did. And she said, I, she said she was a psychologist working primarily with abuse survivors. And would that my work on stabilization, et cetera, et cetera, help them? I said, I don't know. But uh, she said, I'll send you six. We'll start a group. We'll find out. And 10 minutes into the group, I realized this is what i have been training for. This is the level on which I needed to use every tool in my arsenal and it was something constructive and helping people find their, their, their bodies and their joy again. So I started doing that and that became one of the most important things, areas of application for me. But uh, it was just a matter of somebody was seeing me walk differently. But
1: had you studied, like, cause when I, when I hear what you're saying, I'm my because of my previous background up to, to now, I'm familiar with um, Eugene Gendlin's work, which is a lot yeah, about focusing. focusing. And had you studied that and that became? No. Uh, no. I,
2: I, I read about it much later on. Hmm. But um, the first time I ever got deep into a person was when a, that psychologist brought me someone and she said, "Could you help her relax? I put her on the table started doing some table work. She was getting softer and more open. And then she freaked because that tightness that she was holding in her body was her way of not feeling some things that had happened to her. So when she felt it, she really started to lose it. And I'd never seen anything like that. And i had a moment of panic. What do I do? And then the Aikido spoke to me and said, go with the power. So I did. And I simply said, oh, when you feel that in your body, what else do you do? Can you ask it to do it more? We just kept going round and round at that until she knew what had happened and what she felt. I said, okay, stand up. And we went out on the mat and I attacked her in the way she had been attacked. And I showed her how to defend herself. And in the end, she walked out feeling happy and um, elevated, uh, high, high very graceful and, and fluid she didn't walk out having re-experienced her her terrible um, experience and being stuck in it she walked out knowing she could defeat it this time and she was she had a glorious smile and i turned to the psychologist and said what the hell was that because i never thought people would do things like that to, to people like that and she said that was abuse and uh, I figured out that I was going to have to do something about it. You can't just let people say, oh, now I know what I felt. And if we do work with the emotions, you become a happy, healthy victim. You have to teach them to win, even if it's metaphorical in some cer- certain circumstances. But uh, my my job is to finish up what people consider to be empowerment with real empowerment. Everybody talks about empowerment these days. but What do they mean by it?
0: I really like how you, that's a beautiful example of really bringing action mm-hmm. into empowerment. And that's a very vulnerable state because it's, I think there is a fine line in what you're describing of. Yeah. And it shows the skill as the practitioners that, that could have easily tilted onto re experiencing the trauma and going on the, uh, reliving it and not really going through the full vortex of going through it to go into a healing.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Aspect of it. And I I do, from being in similar situations and working with similar people, there is, I think you really help meet that, well, that what if, if I could have done that, what if, like really defeat the attacker. And when you don't get to have that what if and you actually have been attacked, that's a great gift to be able to live it out so you're not constantly in that
2: cycle of trauma. yeah well to me trauma is learning that you're you have no resources learning that you're powerless and living on the basis of that information if somebody falls into deep water is that traumatic if they can't swim yes if they can swim it's just fun so I consider that you're not done with your traumatic experience and so you can look it in the eye and, and win for me, that comes down to one. when I was first diagnosed, I was pretty much in shock, but then I spent about six months going, Parkinson's, yes, Parkinson's, ah, and I taught my body not to be afraid of it, and so I guess that's part of what's let me continue to function for all these years. Most people, I guess, fry after five or six years. For me, it's been 17, but um, you have to, when you work with people, you have to satisfy the the gap i saw a cement company once they had big black and pink cement trucks and they had a roller with that drum which turns and mixes the water in the cement and ha- on the side they had find the need and fill it and that's precisely what i try to do i try to find what do they really need and give it to them
1: i'm very rarely at a loss for words and i'm still just, um, just taking. Uh, so much in so i'm i'm really grateful for a lot of this and what's nice is i again because i do more of most of the editing i will have to get to listen to this back a few times as i sort of edit it out mm-hmm. so I'm, I'm glad for that and for, and know, for the, paw, the yeah. pause
2: button you can always phone me if you have a burning question
1: uh well i mean i actually related to that i mean i, I do want to get back more to the work but the uh, the now like with with what's happening with Corona, you mentioned you sort of have just started going stick work, but with with BIM, are you do you do classroom? How how does how does how that? I it? How do
2: I yeah, teach it? How,
1: how do you teach it?
2: Well, I, I teach it for individual lessons and group classes. Uh, the class I might start. Okay, say let's take a topic. What is prejudice? Everybody's not everybody. the, the people who are trying not to be prejudiced want to eliminate systematic pre- prejudice and narrow-mindedness. How do you do that? What is it? Everybody's against it, but I haven't seen anybody say, I want to I want to do this. You can't stop anything. You can only start something better to replace it. What would you replace prejudice with and how?
1: Uh, this is getting deep today. I uh, wasn't prepared for <laughs> well, this.
2: <laughs> okay, well, um, you can say you're the expert, Paul. Why don't you t- answer?
1: Yeah. You're the expert, Paul. Why don't you answer?
2: Good thinking. Um, I will confess to a feeling of expertise in my body work, not in my IKEA. There's too much I don't understand yet. But what I'm concerned about is I can teach people to create a state of kindness, stability, and awareness. And that's the physiological opposite of the fear and anger, which is part of prejudice. And not only can I teach that, the crucial thing is I can teach people to experience that it doesn't work to be in your body and prejudiced. Your body loses balance and loses power when you say or feel things that are negative. So I could easily walk up to some skinhead or white supremacist or politician or something and say, okay, say something hateful. And when they do, their bodies weaken. I, I do it all the time. It's not a surprise to me anymore. But If you can prove to somebody that when you say this kind of thing, do you want to be strong? Well you can't do be hateful you can't be hateful and strong at the same time. You can in your hate be very forceful and destructive, but it won't be strength, it won't be power, it'll be pain. And so if you want to be strong, you have to be kind and respectful. That I can also demonstrate is the way the body functions. Now it really seems unfortunate to me that people are trying so hard to change the institutions, but it's not the people in the institutions that they're changing. So how do you do that? Nobody knows, well, not, not nobody, but very few people think on this level or try to teach on this level. And I'd love to contribute this to the ongoing expression of fear, pain, hate, etc., etc. But I don't know how to do that. I'm, I'm more or less a academic. I sit in my classroom and I teach. What I'd like to do is to have everybody in the world aware that when well, let's try something. Um, say something friendly to me. Something nice about me, if if you can find something.
0: You're very smart.
2: Okay. What happens in your body when you say that? And Nikki, compare it to saying something very a- oppositional, antagonistic, demeaning about me
0: (laughs) I uh, I can't (laughs) mean
2: (laughs) no to me what happens in your body when you even contemplate it
0: okay but listen I, I, I I appreciate where you're going but there is I know to my husband who I say sweet things to all the time but when I've gotten very angry and I've said very mean things It was, it was, it it made me feel good. (laughs) Of course. It released an energy that came out in some strong words. Did I mean everything of it? No. Did I mean that I needed to get a point cross? That felt satisfying.
2: I'm sure it did, but that's not the level, that isn't an answer to the actual question I ask. When you say something, no. Because good is up for grabs; anything can feel good if you like it. But what I'm asking is, what happens to your stability when you say something mean? And the way I would test that is by pushing on you and seeing if you're more or less stable when you're respectful and kind, or when you're mean and derogatory.
0: I don't know. Right. I, I get I get like a little bulldog in in huh? in a stance.
2: Okay, fine. Wrong. Do you bark? Rough, <laughs> rough. <Ruff, ruff. laughs> Kind of okay.
0: the way I've like, cause I'm a pretty chill, calm and collective go- person, but my husband is, um, we're kind of, we're kind of opposite attracts, but there's a point where my chillness does not, I don't take it any longer. And I, I kind of have a, an explosive moment.
1: But does that, does that, that explosive moment happens and you feel good? Is that the most, is that the best? Is that the most ideal way of getting that, that energy out? Could there be other ways of getting that energy out mm-hmm. that are, that are more helpful for you, helpful for the relationship? I mean, we don't have to go into your whole relationship today, mm-hmm. but just seeing it that, um, yes, that, that could be good. There may be other ways that are more efficient.
2: There's something you're doing, which I find very interesting. You said, get the energy out. That's, the fluid model of feelings feelings are actions you do in your body can you get an action out it where would it go if you would it, would it fall on the floor you can stop doing a given action or or keep doing it and you well, will isn't get it results. well is the
0: action raising your voice and using could your-
2: be if, you know if you look at me that way one more time i'm going to rip your throat out did i raise my voice
0: <laughs> yeah <laughs> no. i have the same
2: fact <laughs> it will have in effect, whatever it does. But the point I'm trying to make is I don't try to get anything out. I try to stop doing something by substituting something better. And if you substituted clarity and kindness and persistence and all kinds of other good things, would that enable your body to feel better and work with more balance than if you're angry and hurtful?
0: Well, I think the key word there is balance and being effective. Yeah, I think I mean, and I'm just using <clears throat> being truthful is that, and I'm not saying it's right, but I do think people who ultimately are trying to create harm and and be mean, there, mm-hmm. there, there is there, there is there has to be something that feels good about it, whether Maybe. it's authentic and not a good way of processing. What do you
2: mean authentic? It.
0: Authentic meaning, is that their true state that they want to be in?
2: What do you mean true in that sense? Is that the state they want to be in? Does adding the word true communicate anything extra?
0: Well, I think, I mean, does a murderer necessarily always want to be a murderer?
2: I don't know. I haven't talked any. But you see, you're, you're arguing from abstract. But you're saying if you want to be true to yourself, I don't know what true to yourself means. If you want to do actions in your body, you get to test if you know how to test them. And I do test whether they promote balance and free movement or not. And if they don't, then you should do something else that works for you without the side effects, the negative side effects.
0: I agree with that.
2: Good. (laughs) Then we're all in agreement.
0: no, I think I was just getting hung up on the fact that they're, and I'm not saying it's the healthiest way, but I do think sometimes people get gratification from.
2: Yes. There's a German word, schadenfreude. It means taking joy in somebody else's misfortunes. Mm-hmm. But um, the point I'm trying to make is that if you, examine what you do in your body as you do something you will find most people find that when they're negative their bodies lose stability and power so i can say to somebody yeah you can get angry and fight for the for the right but does that produce what you want in inside your body as a way of living there was a great slogan in the 60s maybe you've heard it you can edit it out of course fighting for peace is like fucking for chastity It doesn't work well.
1: We're okay with cussing.
2: Okay, good. (laughs) I wasn't cussing. I was just quoting.
0: Well, uh, um, Emily Conrad, are you familiar Uh with her work? Yes. Mm -hmm. So I was just recently listening to uh, an interview that she was doing. It was, uh, what was it called? Interview with Moving Legends. Mm -hmm. And something I thought, especially in this was a taping that she did many years ago, but she wrote something about how or she said something about how revolutions don't work. It's too abrupt and it's too rattling to the to the the system, to the organization, that true change comes through titration.
2: I agree. I wouldn't say that it's too rattling to the system. I don't know what a system is when it gets rattled. I would say that if the system is made up of human beings, they each have to have training so they can run their bodies in the way that will work to, to create the change. If you're going to work and everybody there is angry and pissed and you're supposed to treat people differently, even while you're angry, it's not going to work. But if you teach people how to settle the fear and the anger, and if you, teach, if you, if you give them the experience that they're safer and stronger, when Okay, I won't say that. Let's test it. Show me, please, a defensive posture. If you were feeling feeling defensive about something, what, what kind of a posture would you be in?
1: Yeah, probably more or less like this.
2: Okay. So that's very common. It's Almost everybody will do that when I say, how do you show being defensive? Mm-hmm. And I can test that. I try to poke people. And it turns out when you put your arms up and wide open, you're less penetrable than when you're closed. Because you can see and adapt to things and move. See what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So I don't tell people this is wrong. Don't do it. I say, Let's, you want to do it. Let's do it better, and we'll see if it works or not. The reason that the systematic systemic change is hard is they aren't changing the behavioral units, the the individuals. You can't just say the system will change. How, I I imagine. Does it seem reasonable to you? to think that prejudice might be built on fear and anger. Oh, yeah. Yeah. How do you teach people not to be fearful and angry? You don't. You teach them to be calm and strong and that will negate antidote the fear and anger. But if you don't do that, how are we ever gonna change people's feelings when we're not addressing the feelings as such as actions in the body? See what I'm saying? So if I could get across anything right at this moment, I'd say there are alternatives to feeling fear and anger when you're confronting people that are different from you. But you have to learn them and do them on purpose or they won't work.
1: And for you, the way of learning them is through Aikido?
2: No, or... it's too hard too labor intensive. Yeah. You know, I've spent 50 years learning how to lock people's wrists. You don't need that. You need something that's much faster. What I've done is simplify it i've got two things on my website one is a 70 page book called reach out it's about practicing peace in in a situation of disharmony but that was still way too long so i finally got it down to a handout that's about six or eight pages and that works people will read it and they'll try some of it they find that it works it's not culture bound um so that is what i've been trying to spread and it's i think it's a crucial problem but uh, how do you get people to not be prejudiced you can't you can't stop a behavior you have to start a better one mm-hmm. if you know anybody who wants a little old martial arts guy to come in and teach them peace
1: um, uh, yeah i'm thinking that actually um and i i have a friend who, who actually she's in ohio i don't know i don't know if she's in columbus or not but it, my my the way my brain works a lot of times is to connect and to go, like, Ooh, how, how could I? So I'm,
2: um, that'd be very nice. So, she's
1: very, she's very involved in the, the black lives matter. Um,
2: but, movement. Well, they matter, but how do you teach people to feel that they matter when they don't matter to that person?
0: Mm-hmm.
2: They're trying to say it as a statement, black lives matter. How do you teach people that don't, feel that, to, that, it, that it does matter.
1: Hmm.
2: So I think, I, my, my impression is, I don't know if I've run into many systems or other forms of body work that are resolutely about the body, but that extend into feelings of wholeness and social equality, et cetera, et cetera, as, as, a, as a body thing. Feldenkrais, for example, certainly didn't work with emotions or feel how you feel about another human being. I don't know whether Rolf did. Alexander did not, as far as I know.
1: My understanding with the Rolf thing with Dr. Rolf was she was very much interested in that. Um, like it's the quote that you shared to us that you knew. Um, okay. You know, she um, said, you know, I, I'm very much interested. There's different stories of this quote. I'm very much yeah. interested in working with the psyche, with the soul, with the spirit. But the, the body is all I can get my hands on. Um, in in the school that that Nikki and I went to, there is a, a part of the Rolfing paradigm that's called biopsychological, but social, psychological, cultural. This sort of mm-hmm. framework of that that can tie into it. We don't learn about it a lot in our basic training, but you can go into into that more. Um, Peter Levine was a Rolfer, uh, and
2: I wasn't aware of that.
1: Yeah. And he was bringing, um, even today, one of our senior Rolfers, Jan Sultan, was on the call today. And he was saying how when Peter was working on that, he would bring it to the faculty meetings and basically was sort of testing a lot, a lot within that. So we do have, as Rolfers, we have access to that, but we don't necessarily, not, not everyone wants some, some don't want to go there at all. Um, mm-hmm. And it, it's different still. I mean, Nikki, would you build on or agree or disagree or?
0: I think the, the original work, I mean, I think you kind of tied in the history. I think it's when you're helping someone find better alignment, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: ultimately you're asking them to try on, I mean, as Rolfers, we're nudging the tissue and the structure to try on new postures, new way of moving. And with that, you're often going to have a a mindset change or a okay. shift in perspective. Mm-hmm. And you know what structural integration is is how to move more efficient with the gravitational field. Mm-hmm. And of course, if your body's moving that way, you have to ask how did your body get in a pattern that wasn't efficient right. and mm-hmm. all those things it could be occupational, it could be a traumatic event, it could be an injury, it could be your general attitude. So Mm -hmm. if you are that person that's more quick to, you know, be reactionary and be more of a barker than a a listener. Mm -hmm. So it's I think it's a byproduct of our work that we can't ignore. Mm -hmm. Uh, But because it takes so much to to teach that and to understand that and be good at the kind of the the emotional aspects of it it's mm-hmm. not it's it's addressed it's you're aware of it in your basic training but you kind of need to be in practice and really be with all the different clients that are going to present you with all the different mm-hmm. outcomes of the work.
2: That's interesting. So, I wasn't aware of that. Thank you. Yeah. In my work, I think you can see that I it's coming from aikido. Aikido is well if you know the naming conventions for Japanese martial arts Jitsu means technique and do means path. So Aiki Jitsu is the, the use of the blending of Aiki of Aiki the joining with for the purpose of defeating an enemy. Aiki do is the same kind of joining with the movement for the purpose of meditative path. So um, I think there's a lot of stuff that is Jitsu, even in Aiki do and there's a lot of people who can be very nice in karate or any of the other more destructive systems. But the one thing that I think of is um, my goal is to teach a couple of things that are very unobvious. I want to teach critical thinking and how you create crucial hypotheses and test them so I don't have to go around and say, I'm the guru and you should do it this way. And say, what are you doing? How does it feel? Let's see if it works for what you want it to work for. If it doesn't, we'll we'll find a way to change it. So I'm thinking that the personal change, the way of learning how to learn is crucial for me, where I didn't see it was that crucial in the other body awareness or the martial arts that I took.
1: That's sort of what I was picking up is about the critical thinking. I, I, for me personally, I resonate with that. Well, Mm -hmm. what I like about how I perceive you doing it is, um, there's very little, if any. There's not arrogance. So when you're 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 doing a lot of mirroring back, mm-hmm. but it's um, it's something I do a lot, and I, I I think maybe some of my my ego, my arrogance comes through, and it can um, it can it can irk some people. Some people don't really like it. Um, mm-hmm. I love it. So like again, when I've been watching you do this the whole time, I've been um, even it, I'm okay to be an uncomfortable. I, I, I see that I can grow from that. I've, I've really just uh, enjoyed watching and listening to how you do it and thinking, how can I how can I grow from that? How can I pick that apart?
2: So. Good. Well, I'm glad you're able to make use of it that way. That shows so, that somebody's Paul, a as, real seeker.
0: As we grow into this, does this mean we're never going to shout at anybody again?
2: Well, you can shout at people if you need, <laughs> and you can shout at people if you lose your cool. Yeah, you don't have to be perfect this week. In fact, I've never met anybody who was perfect that took less than a week to do it. Now, there's a key question: Have you ever met anybody who was perfect? No, but I'm sure it takes more than a week.
1: Um, so what for, for like for, for you is it? Let's say you you do shout, or someone does shout at someone. It's the process of recognizing your shouting, recognizing you lost your cool, and coming back to.
2: Yes, yeah. but I don't shout too much anymore. If I shouted at you, what did you do when I did that? What happened in your body, if anything?
1: I contracted a bit.
2: Of course. Can you feel, remember that line of through through space, desiring the pen, pencil? Can you do six lines, up, down, right, left, forward, and back? You can use your breath as a carrier wave, sort of. When you exhale, exhale and one direction then the ex- next exhale the other direction until you've done six breaths and then on the seventh breath exhale all six directions and then go back to the first one again what do, what do you do when you're practicing something like that
1: i'm um, i'm not sure i understood fully
2: okay it's, i was rushing through it basically if you ex if you send your awareness out you're the, you're. The, have you ever been a star or a firefly's butt, or maybe a light bulb? Um, I I feel like I've heard
1: the firefly's butt from you before in a different talk, but yeah, I don't I'm think sure Nikki has.
0: <laughs> no, I don't know. They're... I I grew up in the south, and so um, we're very fond of fireflies, but we were probably a little violent with them because we would take yeah. their butts off and smear them on a shirt. So we yeah. would blow.
2: Yeah. Right. Well, that's not very friendly if you happen yeah. to be a firefly. But glowing is the uh, is the model. If you glowed in all directions, gentle, strong light of kindness and stability, how would that feel like?
1: Expansive. Wow. Yes.
2: Yeah. That's the word I use, expansive, dignified, kind-hearted. If you practice glowing all of those positive emotions, then you will have it there in your behavioral repertoire when you need it. And somebody will attack you viciously, and you'll glow and be kind, and they won't know what to do with that.
1: There is um, this is why when I'd emailed you, emailed you, I was curious: had you known about Rolfing? Because
2: well, I, there I is of it, but not yeah, much. yeah,
1: there is a lot of, and we don't we don't have to go into it, but there is a lot of similarities. Part of essentially part of what a, a hallmark of Rolfing is what uh, one of the sort of teachers uh, developed a word called palatinicity, which is sort of expansive in all directions. Mm-hmm. And about that, about how do you, how will you be in, in all that so that you, you can be in that space, both mm-hmm. physiological, but it, it, it ties into the, the, the psychological.
2: Mm-hmm. Form. Well, I, I think that's interesting. I'd like to hear more maybe afterwards sometime we can yeah. talk about that. But um, yeah, if you if you're looking at a human being you probably will see much of the same thing that anybody else would. The elbow bends only in one direction aside from some of the nastier techniques. So anybody using work on the arm will find the same bend. So it doesn't surprise me that people like Rolfers or um, whoever find similar things Is there. We're looking at the same human.
1: Hmm. Yeah, as they say in Thailand, same, same, but different.
2: Yeah, exactly. I'm working on a book, the title of which is I think the working title is, um, it's all the same except for the differences. Hmm.
1: It's it's such, um, <laughs> uh, I'm trying not to go there, but it's such a good Jewish humor. Like, yes. the, you, you have such good Jewish humor, which is, I think, one of the reasons I also resonate growing up with that.
2: Yeah. Um, I'll tell you the most tasteless joke I ever used with a client. Um, I think of it as victim humor. If if you're the victim and you tell jokes about the oppressor, you've stolen back some of their power. Um, This one guy came to me and we went into his experience of such and such, and he re-experienced being raped as part of a gang ritual. So he came out and said, quick, how many ritual abuse perpetrators did it take to screw a light bulb? He said, what? I said, 13, one to screw it and 12 to chance. He broke out laughing and laughing, and he was back in the room. He wasn't someplace in his torment so i use a lot of humor to uh to help people not take things too lightly
1: so do i and what i not take found, things too
2: heavily i'm sorry
1: yeah so do i but what i've found is i have to reel it back i have to really be you know like saying something like that in your case it worked really well sometimes it won't right? yeah, and it right. can, and so for like i'm curious how do you how do you how do you know when when it will work?
2: You just do. I do. After 50 years of experience, I, I hope I've learned something. But I can't give you an answer. It's just I feel it. And I don't do that until somebody has been working with me long enough that they understand what I'm doing and, and are doing it themselves. Hmm. So I certainly wouldn't do that on somebody's first lesson. But if you want the best victim humor joke I know of, you want it?
1: yeah i mean I, I'm, the, I'm i'm uh, okay i don't know okay.
2: what did <laughs> satan say to hitler when hitler got to hell what oh if i'd known you were coming i would have baked the kike.
1: <laughs> <laughs> i've actually I, I, I i've i've heard i think i've heard that one before too and i i remember i actually remember where i was when i heard that i was in the maldives and i was in the bathroom and I laughed. So I, I laughed and I shared it with other um, Jewish friends. Uh, yeah,
2: of course. Yeah, my German yeah. friends can't tell that joke. <laughs> yeah.
1: But actually, I think I remember sharing it and I shared it with my brother and he didn't laugh. All
2: right, he thought, well, I, he thought yeah. it was inappropriate making yeah.
1: light. Yeah, and that's the, one of the differences, I think.
2: If you teach in Germany, you see it's a very multicultural country at this point. Hitler would die just like so could tr- turn over in his grave. Well, anyway, so we won't make too many jokes.
1: No, too many. I, I do love, I, I actually do, I did want to share just because um, I found it really great and I use it a lot. And I, I think what I'm one of the things I'm hoping for is that we are able to turn a lot of our listeners who may be more Rolf-based onto you as well, because I think your work really ties in. But there's a joke I use a lot when I'm working more in therapy, and it's your good news, bad news joke, which I oh, think yes. is hilarious. I, I'd love for you to share that if you sure.
2: Yeah. It came to me one time while I was in the midst of a deep learning experience, so to speak. Life is a good news, bad news joke. The good news is that through pain and suffering we acquire wisdom. The bad news is that there's more good news coming. Yeah. That uh, that says it, doesn't
1: it? I think that's yep. great.
2: I, the other one, which is almost more specific is better to have loved and lost than never to have lost at all you 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 nod your head knowingly <laughs>
1: I think that's a great place to to wrap actually in so many <laughs> so many ways um we will we will we'll share your um your website is a, is a, is there anything you wanted for people listening you want them to to know um find you or anything you else want to share?
2: Well, um, I, with the COVID virus and all, I can't do too much traveling, but I'm finding that I can do a lot of teaching much more than I thought I could online. So I've been doing lessons I did, a couple of weeks ago. I did a couple of hours in Indonesia. I did some in Gaza. I've done one in the last couple of months in Moscow. Any place the electrons will let me go. I can go there and teach. And I really, what I'd really, you notice that the, two, the handout that I send you mm-hmm. has the copyright released. It's the quickest, shortest, most available thing that I've put out. And I released the copyright so people can share it and use it. And that's what I would like. I would like to have people share it and use this stuff. And uh, if they want me to teach, I can do that too. But they don't have to spend money. They can go to my website. Much of the stuff is for free. And I, I'm an ancient hippie sort of still want to save the world.
1: I appreciate all that. I appreciate you so much. I'm really grateful for the time um, with you today. Part of the reason I, you know, that that I had the idea for the podcast and brought Nikki on is, is, um, I just wanted to talk to people. I want to share people who I really thought made a difference and had great ideas. And I, but I also just wanted to talk to them and so this has been in a lot of ways a, a really wonderful dream for me it's been great
2: thank you yeah um, everybody says such nice things about me i ought to take one of my workshops and see what i'm teaching <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, nikki do you have any uh, sort of final words before we we cut out
0: no i just really think that you took time to speak with us and share your wisdom, wisdom and yeah and just really enjoyed your your kind and effective nudging.
2: Thank you. I appreciate that both of you are willing to take your time to help me spread the stuff that I've been focusing on for 50 years. It's a real gift that you give me. Thank you very much. Yeah. Well, thank you both. I really Thanks, appreciate Bob. it. Look forward thank to being out. in contact with you. Thanks. Likewise. Have a nice day. Ciao. You too. Bye-bye. Bye.
1: Thanks for listening to us at Touching Into Presence. We hope you enjoyed today's conversation. You can find out more about Paul at beinginmovement.com. He has a plethora of freely available and helpful information there, and we cannot recommend it enough. Please feel free to leave us positive reviews on Apple Podcast or other podcast services and please share us with the people you feel may be of interest. We do this for all of you out there and hope we are making a difference in your worlds. We look forward to hearing back from you and seeing you on our next conversation at Touching Into Presence. Bye-bye.